Welcome to EduMeasure, a podcast for teachers, students, parents, and others concerned with transforming teaching and learning. A podcast for exploring creative, unconventional responses to current issues in education. I'm your host, Baron Desterbrook, a professor at a small liberal arts college in Illinois. And in today's podcast, I'd like to interview a longtime colleague who has made a career of inspiring young writers. Dr. Cindy Cochran, Associate Professor of English, is a writing studies expert, a graduate of the University of Illinois and Carnegie Mellon, an A.B. in Rhetoric and Literature with a Master's of Science in Secondary Education and a Ph.D. in English. She's taught at large universities, small liberal arts colleges, and high school over a career spanning more than 40 years. I'm going to let her describe what she does in perhaps a bit more detail. Cindy? Well, first of all, Barrett, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really honored. Um, yeah, I've been teaching forever. I think I almost always wanted to be a teacher. And when I graduated eighth grade, I guess I told people that I was going to get a PhD in English, and I don't think I knew what a PhD was. But I had planned on teaching high school, and in my senior year of college, I chickened out. I thought, there's no way, I'm too young to die, I'm not going to go out into the high school and try to teach people who are only four years younger than me, I don't know enough. So I thought, well, I'll just postpone it, and when, if and when I decide I'm ready, I'll finish that certificate up closer to the time. And so I went back and got a master's in uh, education, I almost went into mathematics because I was sick of literature, not having any answers. But my real love had been and always was writing. So I, I taught writing at the college level, fell in love with it, decided not to pursue high school anymore, and eventually got my Ph.D. with an entire focus on writing studies. So that's, that's my story. What I'd like to do today is to talk about writing and about transformational learning. That's the focus of this podcast. So I have a couple of questions for you. And the first one... How is what you are teaching, were teaching, want to teach, transformational? In what way would you use that word to describe what you do and why you do it? Well, that's a really tough one because no matter what I teach, there's always an alteration from one semester to another or it's a different course. But I think about writing at its core as something that when you're learning to do it and when you do it, you naturally transform yourself because the act of writing changes your brain changes what you're thinking and so on its basic level no matter what i teach there's at least that transformation but on a broader level depending on again on the class let's let's take the typical first year writing course um i am trying to transform students into people who a want to write, or at least don't hate it as much, B, want to use writing to communicate, C, know how and are prepared to and willing to and intend to use writing to learn and to think, all right? And that's, that's really hard. And if, another way is to transform them into people who realize that writing is not monolithic. It's not the same thing. Each time you write, it's going to be something different. And so built into that is this whole idea that by the end of my course, 
I am hoping that they are more cognitively flexible in the way they approach writing. And I could go on and on about that. I'm interested in this notion of the the monolithic here. You're not just talking about styles per se. You're talking here about the ways in which writing influences the way we think. I'm talking about everything from style and form, right, to, you know, and purpose, right? The, you know, the why we do writing, the how we do writing, the where we do it, even whether or not we're doing electronically or, you know, with a feather pen, it changes every time, right? And because writing itself is not just one thing, it's really hard to learn. And because students kind of want things to be one thing, it, it shocks them when they, when they begin to realize that what I'm asking them to do is to constantly change, right? And so if they've just learned how to write in one way, I'm, or for one purpose or in one mode, I'm going to switch it up. And the next thing that we do is going to perhaps build on that first skill, but it's going to suddenly change. Or even the grammar that we talk about, um, the editing that we do in class, even on the sentence level, that I'm not asking them to always have a perfect sentence with one idea of what perfection is, but rather to realize that a sentence can be said in a million different ways and that there are many grammars and that they need to think about their situation. So it's very Aristotelian on one hand, but it's more than that. I mean, the idea of writing as a way not just to learn material. I mean, the evidence is very clear that if you write about something, you think about it more deeply, you remember it for much longer, and getting to value that may be a very difficult thing for students who have been forced to do mostly summaries and simple short answers to to simple and maybe boring questions, right? But then to go a step beyond that and get them to realize that if, if they're doing it right and they're doing it together, maybe collaborating, that they can think different thoughts than they would if they hadn't done the writing to begin with. And maybe even get to the level that what they realize is that they are much, much more creative if they just allow themselves to write than they might ever have thought or than, they, you know, than they've thought for a long time. I think little kids realize they're creative, but they lose that. Right. You really described very well here the role and the purpose that uh, writing really has for liberal arts education, because it embodies that in a, to a certain extent there. My next question would be about what students should take with them. You do these things here. You, and again, we're talking about an ideal here that we're trying to realize with these kids. What should they, or do they, or should they take with them when they leave the best classrooms and courses here? And how do we know that they've done it? So what should they take in general or in, uh, regarding writing? Well, regarding writing. So I hope, for one thing, that they've learned by their, and under their four years, that there's more than one way to learn to write, and that they've learned about writing well from several of their professors 
and from several of their colleagues, maybe scores, right? But usually it's at least a few if they've been paying attention. And on a semester level, when I think about the course goals, I change my mind all the time. What do I want the students to get out of my course this time? It used to be the case that I just insisted I could not predict what a student would get out of my course. It completely depends on where the student was when the student came in, what they previously thought, what their attitude and prior knowledge was. But I'm beginning to think that, yes, okay, that's true. But I think I can say at least I want students to learn more about manipulating language and and forms um, to the, to suit their needs and their desires and their purposes. So even 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 if they come in with a really good attitude, they can still learn more about that. If they come in with a, a very poor attitude to writing and usually not of their own making, something that's been drummed into them by the way they learned about writing to begin with, maybe they can learn that they have more power than they realized if they just allow themselves to do some writing. In this context, I think it would be interesting for um, our listeners to know a little bit about how you took student writers and helped them with, a, with the development of a writing center where they were students helping students, and how that, in some respects, both exemplified the kinds of principles you're talking about mm-hmm. and also helped the students to develop those. Could you say a little bit about that? Sure. I was very fortunate that, well, I guess it's been about 26 years ago, Illinois College advertised for someone to create and run a writing center. And I had been working with a guy named Phil Boshoff at Skinmore College and had helped to direct that writing center and saw the potential. Um, Phil is and was a believer in the idea of students teaching students, uh, students writing without teachers, in a sense, going from the title of Peter Elbow's book. So I came here really excited because I thought, okay, this is, this is great. It's a real job in writing studies. I'm not going to teach literature. I'm going to teach writing. And I'm going to have students who I can educate to help ed- them educate other students. And I had wonderful tutors to begin with. And we right, right away decided, nope, we're not going to call ourselves tutors. We're going to call ourselves consultants. And the whole idea was starting to get the, the word around campus that students could help other students talk about their writing, appreciate the writing, help make the writing better. Sure, it would help the grades, but it would transform the campus into a place where writing was happening more often and better. And, and this was wrapped up in the idea of not just working with the students, but also working with the faculty and getting the faculty to realize that writing, uh, assigning writing is not a threatening adventure um, in learning how to grade mountains of papers if you don't want it to be, but that writing can be used in a whole variety of ways in classrooms um, to benefit the students. And if, if more writing were done, the 
elevation it, of writing on the campus would occur. And I assumed it needed to be elevated. I just assumed because I, it needed to be elevated wherever I went. And I, I was lucky. I got to do a one, lot of wonderful things, including starting an annual writing conference that the students ran themselves. And they used blind review, peer review to select the papers, and they helped the, the students revise the papers and put those final touches on and practice them, and they would deliver them in person. And now we have the celebration of excellence, which is, you know, sort of from that same model, but the Writing Center consultants still like to have their annual conference every year. So I was very proud of the work I did there, but I wanted it to be something that did not end up a lab where students were given little homework sheets, drill in practice, which is a model still being used in some colleges to this day. It has its place, I suppose, but it wasn't what this college needed. It isn't what most colleges need. And so it's, it's thriving. And I think now it's transformed many times throughout the, the years. And you know, it's still, it's still going, it's still kicking. So I'm, I'm proud of that baby. All right, then let's talk about obstacles. We're talking about a wonderful ideal here, which is something that as teachers and as learners, we are always engaged in how to realize that. And there are obstacles, there are difficulties, there are challenges to excellent teaching and learning in today's environment. What would you say are some of the, the ones that you had to deal with or that you find are going to be most important or consequential for the achievement of these goals? There's obstacles coming from within each writing teacher, most likely, and there's come obstacles that come from without. And I think for many writing teachers, there's, there's an obstacle of, of the difficulty. It is very, it's a very, very difficult course to teach when when the sole purpose is to teach writing and not some kind of content that isn't the content of writing and you have grading and you care you can spend quite a lot of time and a lot of concern and students need a lot of individual attention which is one way the writing center helps to add to the individual attention students get in a way that uh, enhances the individual attention from the teacher the instructor. I, I suffered all that kind of obstacle, but the biggest obstacles now are coming from the students and their families as a result of the way we've portrayed writing in the media. And ironically, it's writers who are doing that, television writers, movie writers, newspaper writers, using air quotes when they talk about English majors and making jokes about English majors and making writing seem something like something that is 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 hard or that is reserved for just the very weird right we have people who want to you know large corporations the achieve foundation the government Lots of parents sort of wanting us to emphasize science and technology because we need scientific and technological developments in order to solve some of these huge problems we've created for the world. But people begin to see writing as only an instrument, if they see it at all, as, as important at all. 
they think of it as an, as an instrument to achieve something technological or scientific and not as something that in itself can help solve some of the world's problems. Because they forget that writing actually is communicative and that problems that are very, very difficult to solve cannot be solved unless there's a record of past solutions that people can read and mull over. And so if we don't create a, a world of writers, we'll never climb out of this mess instead of people who just shout epithets at each other. So along these lines, we are receiving a certain kind of student. Students change over time. And we've been, in our careers, we've watched these changes take place over the decades. And the most recent changes are tied closely to what you mentioned about technology, social media. Do you see implications of our students, um, I'm going to say, obsession with, the, with social media? Is there, are there problems there for writing and so forth? How do you look at the, at the, the issues raised by social media with our students well, when I it think, comes to college education? I think it's a mixed bag. I, I think social media has made students more aware of audience variation because even though there's claims that we isolate ourselves in little pods of like-minded people in our social media, there's certainly arguments that go on in, within those pods. And the communication is very immediate. The effects of your communication are very immediate. So students learn that their words have an effect, and it, that effect will be different on different people. So that, if they didn't already know that. And they also are, I don't think they're super frightened about the idea of putting their words out there for the world, right? Of making their words public which is something that I think women feared for years more than men, and a lot of people fear. But, but I think they still see writing as instrumental and that if they can do it without punctuation on social media, they should be able to do it without punctuation all the time. Maybe that's true. I don't know. Now I'm very concerned about how they will use chat bots and the new one, Yama, or maybe Llama, I think it might be called Llama 2, and ChatGPT, how will they use that? Because certainly they will. How will they use that kind of technology to say what they want to say instead of just taking an easier way to approximate what they want to say? So from your perspective, is ChatGPT a threat to what we're trying to accomplish at college? Change is always a threat at first, okay? But I think ChatGPT is sort of like the calculator. I'm sure that is a metaphor a lot of people have, have made, but it's a, it's, a weird, it's a weird tool because ChatGPT can create some prose that's, that works. It can be funny and humorous. It can, make, it can be functional. I heard a wonderful podcast in which someone was talking about having ChatGPT even learning how to, um, teaching itself how to draw, which is something it was not taught. So it can get better, right? Well, okay. Then 
the way I see it is if we get the right attitude, which we probably won't, but if we got the right attitude, it would be, all right, how can I write better than ChatGPT? How can I use what ChatGPT does as just another tool to then go on and make many, many, many more strides? It's artificial intelligence for a reason. All right, you can tell the difference between artificial sweetener and real sweetener, right? You can tell the difference sometimes between artificially created writing and real writing because I don't think it's as interesting. I had one write a poem about a toad. Now, I had written a poem about a toad. That poem that I wrote was fresh and funny, stupid but it was full of me, right? And I wrote it for a friend who loves that poem, okay? ChatGPT wrote a sonnet with predictable, somewhat funny lines. It was well done in a sense that it was a sonnet and it followed the pattern, but it didn't do anything unexpected. And poetry is good only because it does what's unexpected and beautiful, right? So I don't know. I mean, obviously, it's a moving target. AI will just get more complex. It'll have more knowledge. It'll have a greater database to draw from. It, it will get better. And if it gets as good as, you know, what they do on Star Trek, you know, maybe we shouldn't worry at all. But I still think danger, I think, would be Failing to realize that learning to write and doing it helps you think and helps you communicate and express what you feel, what you think, and to think more and more deeply. So the, the real danger is that people will just stop with uh, making chat GTP essays that they tweak a little bit and never really learn the joy of real writing. And that's, that's the trick. So how do we do that? I don't know. Let me conclude the question about inspiration, and specifically what inspired you as an instructor or a teacher, or even as a student, in the best classrooms of your past? So I'm, I'm one of those people who had a lot of really incredible teachers who gave me gifts. It's so hard to, to narrow it down. And even when I try to narrow it to just writing. But if I work backwards, I think of Richard Enos, who taught me that he's a classical rhetorician. And he, he taught me and all, all my colleagues that when we are looking at old theories and old ideas, we should not automatically discredit them, and we should think instead, these were valued for a long time for a reason. So even if they're flawed, there's something that we can salvage from them. And, and, and actually, Richard Young echoed that. I think, I think back to Claudia McCabe, who was my sixth grade teacher, who let me read The Hobbit. And uh, because my dad had died, and she thought I, I, I deserved a break. And so I just got to read The Hobbit, which I milked for all it's worth and 
took my time with and, and, you know, let her pity me because I self pitied and, but I loved it. And I went on to the, to the trilogy and, and to many, many more other uh, scientific books or science fiction books and fantasies and other novels. And I think of teachers who emphasized that writing was something that you could add to. You did not have to always do exactly what was prescribed. The best teachers I had were ones that let you push on that. Do something like let you go ahead and write a poem instead of an essay as long as you answered the question. That made me feel liberated. It made me feel like I was in charge of what I was doing and learning while still respecting all the things that I was being taught. And if a teacher can get you to listen to everything that's being taught and still feel liberated, that you can do a little bit on your own, that's, that's magic. And that's what I, I'd like to do with my students. I don't think I, I do. I'm going to have to disagree on that point. I've listened for years to the testimony of students who have recognized her generosity as a teacher and admired her dedication to the ideals that she has described here today. Once again, I want to thank Dr. Cindy Cochran for her willingness to share her reflections on education with our listeners today. Her perspective has meaning for teachers, students, and anyone seeking insight into how our classrooms can help us navigate the extraordinary changes taking place in our society. Classrooms where writing is learned not just as a skill, but as a way to develop our individual voices and thus enthusiastically embrace the challenge of the modern world. That's all for today's podcast. I'm your host, Bernd Estabrook, and I hope that you have found this interview episode provocative. We will be adding additional episodes in the coming weeks, along with a new website, and we look forward to welcoming new subscribers wherever you get your podcasts. Measure is produced by Ed Leonard and Bernd Esterbrook, with help from our editing and engineering intern, Miranda Araujo. Thanks for listening. <laughs>